Welcome to the Studies in Proverbs podcast, produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. This is taken from a video series you can find on our website, heartcrymissionary.com. HeartCry is a missionary society founded by Paul Washer. The goal of our ministry is to glorify God and bring the greatest possible good to humankind through the preaching of the gospel and the establishment of biblical churches throughout the world. Visit heartcrymissionary.com to view our other productions and to find out more about HeartCry Missionary Society. Well, welcome back to our study of Proverbs. It is very early in the morning here in Radford, Virginia, and it's uh, looking out the window. It's very cloudy and rainy and kind of cool. It seems like fall may be drawing near to us, and it's a perfect time to sit down and to study the scriptures. Today we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27, uh, through the end of the chapter. So let's begin reading in verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not devise harm against your neighbor while he lives securely beside you. Do not contend with a man without cause if he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious are an abomination to the Lord, but he is intimate with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. The wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this day, the opportunity to teach. I pray, dear God, that what we're doing here today will help your people, that it will not be a waste of time, that it will matter for eternity. Lord, that that young people would come to know your son, Jesus Christ, as Savior and Lord. And, and that they would grow, that they would be, that their generation would be wiser than mine, that they would be much wiser and, and more godly than, than I am, Lord, far beyond me. Oh, God, raise up the young people that are listening to this, that their lives will just be a walking, talking demonstration of your grace. Oh, Father, that's that's why we're here. To raise up a generation that would honor your son. In Jesus name. Amen. And. um Let's not forget that that really is why we are here. Um, You are so important to me as a minister and you're so important to your parents and your pastors and your friends. But most importantly, we're here that that you would grow in Christ and that God would be glorified, that he would be glorified in your life. Well, we're going to make a little bit of a change here in that 
Um, most of the things that we have been teaching have been very, very Godward in the sense of our responsibilities before God. And even here, we're seeing our responsibilities before God, but we're seeing something beyond the vertical and we're beginning to see something of the horizontal. Even if you study the Decalogue, now that's a big name for the Ten Commandments, you see two categories. The first commands are Godward, and the second commands, um, table of commands, are manward. And that shows us something that is throughout all the scriptures, especially in the two great commands that Jesus sets forth in the Gospels. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, so many people have um, misinterpreted that last command. They, they think that, well, I can't love my neighbor as I ought to until I first learn to really love and cherish myself. Um, that's not what Jesus is saying at all. Not at all. Um, it's, it's a modern interpretation that is completely wrong, contrary to the scriptures. What Jesus is saying is this. Man has never really had a problem loving himself. Um, I have never had a problem loving myself, and you have never had a problem loving yourself. Our problem is with loving others, and we need to learn to love others as we commonly and easily love ourselves. All right, well, let's begin in verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Now, literally, the text is saying this, do not withhold good from its owners when it is, when the power is within your hand to do it. Let me read that again. Do not withhold good from its owners when the power is within your hand to do it. Now, the word owners here is, is literally those who have need to possess it. And there are two options. There are two possibilities here, and both of them are very helpful in order for us to be, to be pious, to be Christ-like in our relationships. Um, first, he could be saying, do not withhold good from those to whom you owe something like a debt. And we have in Romans 13, 8, a wonderful verse that guides us in that. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. And the idea here is you need to pay your debts. Anytime you enter into some contract, agreement, anytime you make a promise, that promise, that contract, that agreement should be binding. It means we should fulfill it. Now, if we really take that seriously, then we will be very, very careful before we even make the slightest promise. And we will also, especially if you're young, uh, you'll want to, before you enter into a promise, it would be wise to seek counsel from your parents, from the godly, from the elders in your church. It could even be something as small as if a friend asks you to come over to the house and, and you're still in your own home, you're a young person, you're under the authority of your parents, and someone says, hey, can you come over tomorrow? You probably shouldn't say 
Yes, because you may have to come back and say no after you've talked to your parents. The best thing to do is first get counsel. Will it be okay, mother or father, if I go over to their house tomorrow? And so the idea is that if you've made a promise or if you owe someone something, you need to pay it and you do not need to delay. Now, I want to talk for just a moment about employment. Uh, I remember I had a young person working with me one time. We were, uh, we were uh, cutting down a bunch of trees and, and I noticed that they were very, very slow in their labor, very, very slack. And um, so I asked them about it. I said, you know what? You're not moving very fast. You're not working as fast as the other young men. And he said, well, he goes, I was instructed that whenever you're at a job, you don't want to work to your full because then the employer will raise the expectations and make it more difficult for you. And I said, I don't know who told you that, um, but that is untrue. You see, if you've made a promise to work, for a certain amount of payment, then you work at that job with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your resources, you see. Now, so he could be saying, do not withhold good from those uh, to whom you owe something, whether it's a duty or money, but it could also refer to those who have need. Do not withhold good from those who have need when it is in your hand to help them. Now, there is a beautiful text in 1 John, and I want to read it to you. And it's very, very helpful. And not only is it helpful, not only does it tell us to move with the heart, but it tells us also to move with wisdom whenever we see people in need. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So how do you define what love is? And really, this is what we're talking about. Even when you have an employer and you're working for him, if you work for him with all your heart, that's a demonstration of love. If you owe someone money and you pay them at the exact time that was settled upon, that's not just righteousness. That's also a demonstration of love toward that person with whom you had a commitment. Now, so how do we know what love is? Well, poets write about it, don't they? But, but Jesus Christ exemplified it. He showed us what love truly is. He laid down his life. When you enter into a relationship, do you know what it, that's for? Even a friendship. It, it's not to see what you can get out of that friendship. It is rather you've now made a relationship which gives you the opportunity to live out the commands of Christ, primarily laying down your life in service for a friend. When you enter into a marriage contract, it is the greatest possible opportunity to say, I've made a commitment to this person, not, not so that I receive something from them, but I've made a commitment in order to afford myself a greater opportunity to show love, which means to, to lay down my life in service for this friend, even if they do not respond in kind. So, he says, 
But whoever has the world's goods, that is, remember in Proverbs 3.27, you, you have it in your hand to do good. You have the power to do good. Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Then he says, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but indeed and truth. Now, there's so much here, so much here, but let, let's let's look at it. First of all, whoever has this word world's goods. Now, the general application here is when you have the resources to help someone. That, that's the whole idea here. There are many things I cannot do because I do not have unlimited resources. But with what God has given me, whether it's uh, working at the mission and a salary, or it's you getting an allowance from your mom and dad, the resources you have, but not just financial, also time, also talent. Whatever has been given to you has been given to you in order that you might help others. Okay. Now, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need. Now, this is extremely important. The Greek word here is to, to see, to observe. And, and so what it's talking about here is wisdom. I remember when I was a young Christian, I would uh, I, I lived in a, a city where there were a lot of street people and I would sometimes take them into my house. I would sometimes um, uh, give them money, different things. And I had a, uh, a pastor in the church who heard about all the things I was doing and, and he rebuked me. I thought, you know, I was a little upset. I thought he would, you know, commend me, but he rebuked me, not because I was trying to help, but because I was trying to help unwisely. And this passage here shows why he rebuked me. It says, you observe your brother in need. So it means that we're not talking about necessarily giving your resources to a person who's lazy or criminal or taking advantage of others. But when you see someone, you've observed it and you've discerned with wisdom that they have a genuine need. You can really see it. Then you step in and help. There are some people who need to be helped because the need is genuine. There are some people who need to be helped, but they also need to be instructed. There are some people who need to be rebuked because they are in need at this time for doing things that are contrary to Scripture and not only contrary to Scripture, but contrary to law. So whenever we have resources, we are required to be good stewards. Do you see that? Good stewards using wisdom and not giving indiscriminately because young person, you need to realize something. There are a lot of good people out there, but there are a lot of people who will take advantage of you. And when you help them, you're not helping them. You're adding to their ruin. So we need a lot of wisdom, don't we? He says, whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him. Now, um, have you ever heard uh, someone is tight fisted? That means they won't let go of their money. They won't let go of their time. They won't help anybody. They're not generous. They're tight fisted. Well, you know why they're tight fisted? Because they're tight hearted. 
They've closed their heart and therefore they've closed their hands. So you see, everything in life really does come down to a heart issue and that's why the book of Proverbs tells us to guard our heart, to guard our heart above everything, to cultivate faithfulness, to internalize the word of God. And so if we have a tight hand, it's because we have a tight heart. Now, let me ask you a question. When was the last time, young person, you helped someone? You gave your resources to help someone. And I'm not just talking about part of your allowance. I'm talking about your time. And not just to a missionary or a beggar in the street, but your little brother and sister. They wanted to play and you wanted to do something else, but you said, you know what? I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to play with them. I'm going to spend time with them. I'm going to read with them. I'm going to walk with them. I'm going to show them that they really matter. Yes, today I could go out and run with my older friends and receive something, but today instead of doing that, I'm going to give something. And you'll find out that in giving something, you received more than you ever could have received by trying to do something or orchestrate something for your own good. So, he says, how does the love of God abide in him? He says, if he sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Now, you know the old saying, you can't judge a book by its cover. Well, that's true if we're talking about um, someone, you know, who, who may not look that appealing or someone who might not be that finely dressed. We shouldn't judge someone that way, not at all. Uh, because a person that is not quite as physically handsome might be the most beautiful person in the world on the inside. Someone who's not that appealing or pleasant may genuinely be a good and sincere person with great integrity. But there is a sense in which you can judge a book by its cover. And that is a person who is tight-fisted well, you can tell they're tight hearted. A person who claims that they love God, but give themselves constantly to sin. A person who says they love others, but, well, they never do anything for anyone. So you see, you can judge a book by its cover. And, and, and sometimes when I'm having a Bible study with my children, one thing I'll ask them is, can you remember the last thing you did for someone? How, what was the last thing you did to serve your brother or your sister or your mom or dad or your friends or someone in the church or someone in need? What have you actually done? What did you do? <laughs> you see. All right. Now, verse 18, little children, let us not love with... Uh, word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We can love people with our words. As a matter of fact, our words should be full of grace and should be encouraging and building up and edifying. We can also love people by telling them the truth, even when it hurts, like I'm telling you some things that probably hurt a little bit. So we can love with word and tongue, but we should also love with deed and truth with actually living it out. You know, I, I want to grow. I'm, I'm 59. I want to grow in my knowledge of God. And yet at the same time, I recognize that <laughs> I don't always live everything I know. 
And that's the key. That's the real standard test, you see. We're not going to be judged just by what we know. Now, we will be judged for being ignorant when it's the result of not studying Scripture, but we will not be judged just for what we know. We'll be judged by how did we live in the light of what we know. So, now, I want, to, I want us to look at one other thing here, and it says, when he sees his brother in need. Now, the word brother here um, isn't referring to the, the totality of humanity. Um, although we ought to love all of humanity and we ought to do good to all of humanity, he is specifically talking about your brother and sister in Christ. Um, I want to do things for people who are unbelievers, for people who don't know the Lord. Of course I do. But my primary responsibility, my first responsibility is to the people of God and to their needs. And we should always remember that. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Now, I'm having a lot of trouble yawning, aren't I? <laughs> I tell you, it is early in the morning. Uh, Galatians 6.10, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Do good to all, absolutely, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. You know, we live in a day and age where everyone's talking about their people, their race, their ethnicity. Um, I have a people, and I have a race, and they mean more to me than anyone. It's not my physical family. It's not people of the same color or ethnicity of, as myself. It's everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. That person is my brother. That person is my sister. Uh, whether they live in Scandinavia or Australia or Africa or the Philippines or China or South America or the islands or the Caribbean or Russia, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. And we never need to forget that that there are believers all over the world who are suffering and in great need, not just because of where they live, but because of their relationship with Jesus Christ, because they are Christians, they are persecuted. And so how much more should we not withhold good from those who need it when it's in our hand to give it? When it's in our hand to give it. Now, let's look at verse 28. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back tomorrow. I will give it then when you have it with you. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Sometimes people are so insignificant to us that they are just a bother. That we're doing something we want to do. They come and they have a need. But we would rather continue doing our own thing. 
And that's not just the people of God. It's not just the church. But young people, listen to me. Your little brother, your little sister. You've got your own things you want to do. And I understand that. And sometimes you should do your own things. And your parents maybe should intervene and allow you to do your own things. But, but to think that we can't spend time to tie a little brother's shoe or to fix a, a little sister's doll or to take them on a walk holding their hand in the park or to simply play with them. I can't tell you how many times I've been here at HeartCry and worked, I don't know, 10, 12 hours only to go home and have a four-year-old daughter waiting for me saying, can we play tea? Or she'll look at me when I'm in my study at home and she'll walk in the door and she'll say, don't you want to play with me? There's a lot of work to do and if I get up from that chair, yes, I'm going to have to spend more time without sleep. But for the most part, it's exactly what I should do. I shouldn't say go and I'll do it some other time. Now, of course, there are times when that has to happen. But if it's happening all the time, there's something wrong. When you have the power to do it, do it. Because the opportunity may go away and an opportunity missed is not regained. There's a passage in the book of Deuteronomy, and we'll close with this. You shall not op oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your countrymen or one of your aliens who is in your land, in your town. You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets, for he is poor and sets his heart on it, so that he will not cry against you to the Lord, and it become sin in you. Now, you know, what's really, big to, what's really big to someone else may not seem really big to me, and I need to be sensitive to that. You see, here's a case where there's a rich man who has much money stored up. He does not live day to day or hand to mouth, as we say. He's got money to last him for months and months or maybe years. But that hired servant, he gets paid every day. And if he doesn't get paid, he doesn't eat. I have worked in countries like that, still do, travel to them, I've lived in them, where a man goes out every day and his family waits every day when he walks through that door to see if he has money in his hand. They live from day to day, from hand to mouth. Now for that rich man, it may not seem very important. Ah, uh, he can just wait. I could wait. Well, maybe you can wait, but that other person can't. And you need to be sensitive to the needs of others, especially when the Lord has blessed you and you have an abundance. You need to be very, very sensitive to the needs of others who do not have an abundance. But that doesn't just apply to money. Again, uh, you know, if some of you fathers are listening, you know, um, How can I say it? You may not think that getting up from your chair and going out in the backyard and playing ball for 10 minutes is really worth the trouble. But to that child, it's gold. It's gold. And, and parents, just, just so you know, I know that some of you are probably listening to this, uh, those lost opportunities with our children they're just lost. That's why we call them lost. 
when you have the opportunity to do good, do it. And this is what the most amazing thing is. All right. Selfishness just breeds more selfishness and more sadness. Generosity with time and money, seeking to meet the needs of others, being sensitive to others, it breeds greater sensitivity and greater generosity and not only that, greater joy. So even if it was just in this life we were rewarded for being kind to people and responsive to people in their needs, if only in this life we were rewarded, it would still be worth it. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water in his name, you will not lose a reward. You may think, well, I'm going to give money to a mission organization and I will get a reward for that, surely, in eternity. You'll get a reward for going out and playing soccer for five minutes with your three-year-old daughter both a temporal one, from the joy it will bring you, from the joy you see on her face, and an eternal one, because you're doing exactly what Jesus said, laying down your life. All right. Well, I hope this has been helpful, and we're going to pick up in verse 29 in the next session. We've kind of done the positive on how we should do good. Now we're going to see how we should never do harm. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Studies in Proverbs podcast produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. Visit heartcrymissionary.com to view our other productions and to find out more about HeartCry Missionary Society.